0: Episode 50, William Shakespeare. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and examine how those events shaped our modern world. Well, guys, we're right at the end of the Middle Ages. And there was much rejoicing. It's been a longer process than I thought it would be back when I decided to call this podcast a short walk through our long history. It's taken us 50 episodes to get through all of human history up to AD 1600. We covered the ancient world in episodes 1 through 26, and then we covered the Middle Ages from episode 27 through this episode, episode 50. And it feels fitting that we end the Middle Ages on a high note as we talk about one of the most important, interesting, and mysterious figures in the history of literature. If you were to ask who are the most influential authors in all of human history, there are two that are in a category all by themselves, just authors of literature, right? Everyone else is a step down from these two. The first, who we talked about way back in episode six, was Homer, and the other person in that category Is William Shakespeare. And if you remember our discussion about Homer, there was some dispute among modern scholars as to whether there really was a guy named Homer who wrote the Iliad or the Odyssey, or if they were written by someone else or a group of people over time. There's no real record that Homer ever existed, except these two great epic poems that bear his name. But I concluded in episode six that there's no real evidence that there wasn't a Homer And no clear evidence that points to another author, so let's just say that the best answer, given the evidence that we have, is just to go ahead and attribute these poems to him. Well, guess what? We sort of have the same issue with Shakespeare. There's a lot of theories out there that say either that William Shakespeare didn't exist, or that he wasn't really the one who wrote these plays. I'll get into that in a bit, but I'll just say for now that I think this falls in the same situation as Homer. We don't have real clear evidence that someone else wrote the plays, and even though there are some issues with the evidence that Shakespeare wrote these plays, the best answer at this point really still seems to be that there really was a guy named William Shakespeare and that he really did write these plays and sonnets. So that's the point of view I'm coming from here, though we will take a look at the other theories in just a bit. As I said in the last episode... There was a thriving theater scene in London during Elizabeth's reign. There were several competing theaters and several competing theater companies and several competing playwrights, including Ben Jonson and Christopher Marlowe. Guess what? Those guys are not getting their own episode. Just William Shakespeare. So far, the only other author who got their own episode was, was Homer. Plato and Aristotle shared an episode in episode 11, but they were writing about philosophy. They weren't writing literature as art so why is shakespeare so important because all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players they have their exits and their entrances and one man in his time plays many parts that's from shakespeare's play as you like it it's act two scene seven did you recognize the quote all the world's a stage did you know that that was shakespeare it's one of his most famous quotes all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. It's said that Shakespeare is the most quoted author in English history. So many things that other authors and artists have done and written over the years make reference to Shakespeare. For example, have you ever had to read the William Faulkner novel, The Sound and the Fury? The title of that novel comes from a line in Shakespeare's play, Macbeth. Listen to it in the context of the play, spoken by Macbeth. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time, and all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. I mean, wow, it's so powerful, so poignant, so well-written, it's so insightful about human doubts and frailty, and it was written over 400 years ago. Has anyone written anything that's better than that qualitatively? What about this? But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, that thou, her maid, are much more fair than she. That's obviously from Romeo and Juliet. I'm going to skip a few lines in the play and jump forward to where Juliet comes out on her balcony and she speaks and she says, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt not be but my sworn love and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Then Romeo says, Shall I hear more or shall I speak at this? Then Juliet says, "'Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's Montague? It is not a hand or foot, nor an arm nor a face. Oh, be some other name belonging to a man. What's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other word, would smell as sweet.'" I mean, what a scene! And these are just two scenes, right? How about this one? This is an amazing scene. Hamlet in a graveyard, wondering if he should live or if he should kill himself. This next bit is in contention for the most famous lines in all of literature. I mean, it's definitely in the running. Ready? To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether 'tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of trouble and by opposing, end them. To die, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep to say we end the heartache, and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, Ay, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For, Who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office and the spurns that patient men of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his own quietus make with a bare bodkin? Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after life, the undiscovered country, from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear these ills we have than to fly to others that we know not of. Thus, conscience makes cowards of us all. I mean, that's pretty profound, huh? It's so powerful and so beautifully written, and that's just one of many, many things that Shakespeare wrote into a play. I could probably spend a whole podcast episode just quoting Shakespeare, and that would probably be the best podcast in the whole series. His work is just that good. But then there's this whole other level to Shakespeare. If you see a Shakespearean play performed live on stage by good actors, actresses, Rather than just reading it, well, I mean, it takes it to a whole other level. It's like the difference between hearing a song on the radio that you like and then hearing that same song performed live by an artist that you love that really pours themselves into the song. Do you like Taylor Swift? She's on tour right now. She just came through Houston. I, I missed it, unfortunately. Maybe you like her song, Love Story, which is one of her most famous songs. Imagine hearing her performing that song live with you in the front row and her pouring her heart into the song. That's what seeing Shakespeare live is like. Oh, and by the way, in that song, she sings, you were Romeo, you were throwing pebbles, and my daddy said, stay away from Juliet. Uh, You know where that's from, right? Yep, she's referencing Shakespeare's most famous play, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo throws pebbles at Juliet's window. How about the band Rush? They're not touring anymore. They were great in their day. What about their song Limelight? It's one of their most famous songs, right? and I did see them perform that song live in concert back in the day, twice. Limelight starts with a reference to a line in As You Like It, and it includes the line, All the world's a stage, and we are merely players, that I quoted earlier. It's almost a direct quote of the same play. Shakespeare's lines are everywhere. Like I said, he's easily the most quoted author in the history of English literature. Shakespeare's plays have been translated into every language, and his plays have been performed more than any other playwright. It's not too much of a stretch to say that he is the most famous author ever, not just in English, but in all of human history. I mean, he's definitely up there with Homer, and Homer wrote just two epic poems. Shakespeare wrote at least 37 plays and over 150 sonnets, and his body of work might be the most important stuff ever written in English. And it's 400 years old now. He's that big a deal. The only other thing that might rival Shakespeare's influence on the English language is the King James Bible, which was written in 1611, just about the time that Shakespeare stopped writing plays, incidentally. These two sources, Shakespeare and the King James Version Bible, were the most important influences on the English language for a long, long time, maybe all the way up to the invention of television, at which point everybody just became stupid and forgot how to write. Or at least they began to get progressively stupider up to the point We're at today where the most important literary influence on most people is a meme they saw on Instagram. The King James Version Bible uses about 8,000 different English words, distinct words. The average educated person knows about 15,000 words and uses about 5,000 of those most commonly. The average Instagrammer uses about 87 words and they spell most of them incorrectly. But Shakespeare, He used over 30,000 distinct words in his plays. He created words that no one had ever used before. He put words together. He added prefixes and suffixes to words in ways no one had ever done it before. And the audience was like, well, that's a new word. And they loved it. And the words found their way into everyday English. And people still love it. When you read these plays today, you often find yourself thinking, wow, that's a really creative use of the language or of that particular word. Shakespeare was really gifted at taking words and putting them in unique places and using them in unique, memorable ways. Shakespeare is also credited with making up over 400 words. He just made them up that we regularly use today, such as arch-villain, zany, and well-educated. It's hard to overrate the impact that Shakespeare had on the English language, and he also invented the word overrate. People react to this fact with amazement which is, of course, also a word that Shakespeare invented. Despite all of the fame and the impact of his plays, very little is known about Shakespeare as a person. And as I said, there are some theories that Shakespeare didn't actually write these plays. Here's what we do know about him. A baby named William Shakespeare was baptized in the village of Stratford-upon-Avon on April the 26th, 1564, Now, by tradition, baptism was usually done within about a week of the baby being born, so he was born sometime about a week before that. But there's no birth record, though. He was the son of a man who made leather gloves there in the village. Stratford-upon-Avon is a very small, small village. It's on the Avon River, just over 100 miles to the northwest of London. It's about a two- to three-day horse ride, or two hours by car, not counting London traffic. It's a small, rural farming village, and there's Apparently, a record of baby William being baptized, but that's all the village records say about him for quite a while. We can sort of assume he went to grammar school there. There was a grammar school. He went to grammar school somewhere because, dang, he knew the language and he knew how to write. But there's no record of him after the baptism in 1564. And there's this big empty gap in his life history until 1582, when he was 18. At that point, he married the 26-year-old Anne Hathaway. Shakespeare and Anne had three kids, and there's records of that too, although one of the kids died young. The one who died young was named Hamnet, by the way. There still isn't much record of William's life, though. There's another gap after the kids are born. But then, in 1592, he's apparently in London, and his plays are being written and performed and published under his name. He's performing in a theater group called the Chamberlain's Men. 1592 is the first recorded date of one of his plays being performed, and that was, that play was part of the play Henry VI. But soon, though, not long after this, his plays were the talk of the town. They got more and more popular in the last years of Elizabeth's reign, kind of the most golden years of the Elizabethan golden era. After Elizabeth's death, the troupe received a grant from King James, and they renamed themselves the King's Men. They took some of the grant money, and they built their own theater on the west bank of the Thames. That was the cheap side of the Thames. And this was called the Globe Theater. There's a modern replica of it now in London, very close to the site of the original. And let me just take a little side trip here to make a quick and shameless plug. If you ever in your life are in London, make sure you go see a Shakespearean play in the Globe. It's life-changing. It's truly one of the best things I've ever experienced in my life. Shakespeare's plays themselves are not dated, so it's hard to pinpoint when each one was written or performed, but there are a few that have some dates associated with them. For example, Love's Labor's Lost was apparently performed in front of Queen Elizabeth in 1598. Julius Caesar was performed in 1599. That was the first play that was performed in the Globe Theater. Shakespeare's plays were printed and reprinted in various groupings during his career, but the authoritative version of his collection of plays wasn't created until seven years after his death. This collection is known as the First Folio, and it was a large, expensive book put together by several of his friends and co-actors. It contains 36 of his 37 plays, and is sort of the official, authorized version of Shakespeare's plays. It also contains a woodcut engraving of Shakespeare, and a printed comment from fellow playwright Ben Johnson who says the woodcut was a good likeness of him. Shakespeare had continued to write and perform in London including acting in others plays until about 1613. In 1613 he apparently retired to Stratford-upon-Avon where he had bought some land and a house. He lived there until his death three years later. He died at the age of 53 on April 23rd 1616. Now like I said Outside of his published plays, there's not much of his life that was actually recorded. We have records of his baptism, marriage, death, and the births of his three children. It doesn't look like he ever left England or even traveled much within England. The only places where he's recorded as having been are London and Stratford-upon-Avon. Now, that's not to say he never went anywhere else. It's just there's no record of it. There are some records of him owing taxes, of him being fined for hoarding grain during a shortage, borrowing money, lending money, and being part of some petty lawsuits. But that's it. Now, I should say, this is pretty typical for the early 1600s. Most people didn't leave that much of a paper trail behind them. But Shakespeare was a bit more than just the average person, wasn't he? He was already somewhat famous by the time of his death. But there's just not much about him that was actually saved. There's no existing letters from friends mentioning a trip with William to the coast or letters amongst friends back uh, to each other mentioning that their friend William Shakespeare was coming to visit or something like that. They just, none of these records survived. And that's kind of surprising. People tend to hang on to that kind of stuff when a famous person dies. Famous people tend to leave a bit of a paper trail. People write letters, they have journals, there are bits and pieces of things like this that after the famous person's death, and because their fame increases over time, these records get saved. Ooh, look, I have a letter from William Shakespeare thanking me for my hospitality when he stayed in my inn. You know, people hang on to that sort of stuff. But with Shakespeare, even though by 50 years after his death, he was regarded as a very famous and great author, there's just none of this peripheral stuff about him. Now, that's what you would expect from a farmer from Stratford-upon-Avon, that there's not much peripheral stuff that's been preserved. But with someone as famous as Shakespeare, it does seem a bit odd. There's also... Nothing that's written in Shakespeare's own hand, except for six signatures on documents. And they're all a little bit different, all six of them. And they're all a little bit wobbly, like they were written by a you know, six-year-old or by somebody who didn't really know how to write their name. It's a bit odd, too. Some people have postulated that he was actually illiterate. Well, if he is, then he did a great job of writing his plays. There's also the question, and this has been asked for over 300 years now, how could someone who's lightly educated and seems to have never traveled outside of England have written these amazing plays that are so full of passion, drama, a rich, rich sense of place, and lots of places, capturing rich stories from history, from all over history, and creating these amazing characters that fill up his plays. Did William Shakespeare really write these plays, or was someone else doing it? Well, there's two possibilities. One is that he really did write them, and and it's just that he was a unique genius. One of those people like da Vinci or Michelangelo or Galileo, who is a unique creative genius and just happened to be in the right place at the right time and find the exact right medium for his abilities. That's one possibility. One of the biggest pieces of evidence for this possibility is the first folio. It was published just seven years after his death, and it attributes all of the works to him, and it includes comments about him from other authors and actors. But the other possibility is that someone else wrote the plays and had them published under Shakespeare's name, perhaps because they couldn't publish under their own name. There are a few comments by some of his contemporaries that have been preserved in peripheral things that hint at the idea that maybe Shakespeare didn't write these plays. And through the years, several different other possible authors have been put forward, including Sir Walter Raleigh, Sir Francis Bacon, who we talked about in the last episode, Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford, and Christopher Marlowe, who was also a playwright in his own name. And several women have been suggested too, including Mary Sidney, who was the Countess of Pembroke, Emilia Bassano, who was a London-born woman whose family was from Venice, and even Queen Elizabeth herself has been put forth as a candidate. Actually, there's about 80 different people who have been postulated as the possible author of Shakespeare's work. And for each of them, there's some hint of evidence that points towards them. For example, in Shakespeare's play Othello, there's a character named Emilia, and Emilia gives a passionate defense of the importance of women. So people say, hey, this points towards Emilia Bassano being the actual author, that and her background and where she's from. The story for Christopher Marlowe was that he faked his death and fled the country and then continued to publish these plays under a pseudonym because he couldn't publish them because everyone thought he was dead. For all of these proposed alternate authors, there are these kind of tantalizing hints. But in the end, there just isn't conclusive evidence one way or the other that really points to any of these other people. There's just the hints. These plays, which everyone agrees are masterpieces, are attributed to Shakespeare in the first folio, which was Like I said, published just seven years after he died and includes very specific tributes to him from other people who knew him. So maybe those people were involved in the conspiracy too, or maybe it's just telling the truth. Now, I'm personally super interested in conspiracy theories and how they come about and why people think these conspiratorial thoughts about these things. And maybe that's going to be the subject of my next podcast if I ever finish this one. And Shakespeare is one of those conspiracy theory type subjects. There's just enough holes in the official story to make you a little bit curious as to whether or not there wasn't something else going on. But in the end, like I said, there's just not enough evidence to prove that someone else wrote these plays. So I'm going with the theory that William Shakespeare actually wrote them. But whoever did, though, they were one of the greatest artistic geniuses of all time. Well, all's well that ends well. That's the title of a Shakespearean play, by the way. And this is now kind of the end of the Middle Ages. Fitting, I think it is, to end the Middle Ages on a high point with Shakespeare. Next episode, I'm going to do something I should have done at the end of the ancient world, and that I'm going to have a retrospective episode that covers all of the Middle Ages and how the whole era affected the modern world we live in. So join me next episode as we look both backwards and forwards.